Hello, Legal Talk Network listeners. This is executive producer, Lawrence Coletti. Before we get started with this part one of two episodes, we want to thank our sponsors. Courtfiling.net. E-file court documents with ease in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. If you file in Los Angeles Superior Court, you know that e-filing has recently become mandatory, and courtfiling.net is there to help. To learn more, visit courtfiling.net to take advantage of a free 30-day trial. Answer One. Answer One is a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can learn more by giving them a call at 800-ANSWER-ONE or online at www.answerone.com. That's www.answer1.com. And longtime sponsor, Clio. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. C-L-I-O.com. And Law Clerk. Law Clerk is where attorneys hire freelance lawyers. There are no sign-up or monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Increase your profits, not your overhead. Learn more at www.lawclerk.legal. And make sure to enter the code NEWSOLO300 for a $300 rebate after your first project. And now, on to the show. So you're an attorney, and you've decided to go out on your own. Now what? You need a plan, and you're not alone. Join expert host Adriana Linares and her distinguished guests on New Solo. Tune into the lively conversation as they share insights and information about how to successfully run your law firm here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to another episode of New Solo on Legal Talk Network. I'm Adriana Linares, your host. I'm a legal technology trainer and consultant. If you're a regular listener, then you know that that's what I do out there in the world. But what you may not know is that I'm also the member technology officer at the San Diego County Bar. I get to visit San Diego about once a month and help members with technology and practice management questions. So today we're going to do a special episode of New Solo, where we've got a panel of solo and small firm uh, practitioners and members of the bar coming to talk about the success and maybe the trials uh, that they've gone through in building their practices. And now let's cut to our interview already in progress. I've only been a lawyer 25 years, so you've been working with lawyers about as long as I have been one. (laughs) I am a solo practitioner. I've been a solo since 2003, so what, 15 years? Uh, Before that, I worked for a couple of firms. Oh, my name, I'm Jeff Pratt, Jeffrey Pratt. And my office is in Bankers Hill um, on Juniper Street and... Is there anything else I should be saying at this point? What are your areas of practice? Oh, my areas of practice. I primarily do real estate and business-related litigation. Okay. Great. I'm Kim Swearinga with Swearinga Law and Mediation, and I've just celebrated my first anniversary as a sole practitioner. And so was uh, in a partnership with a mentor who has taught me well. And so I uh, am here based in San Diego, but my practice is statewide. So a lot of my cases are all throughout San Jose, Sacramento, L.A. land, if I must. And it's <laughs> nice to be in our own backyard here in San Diego. Uh, I can be reached at elderfraudfighter.com, elderfraudfighter.com. My practice is all financial elder abuse. So anybody 65 plus who's been taken advantage of or financially exploited, I'd like to talk to. 
And Kim, you were one of my very first customers, so to speak, when I when I joined the San Diego County Bar um, as the member technology officer. I think you were literally the first person that texted or emailed me and said, hey, I'm starting my new practice, but you've been in practice for a while. And you came in and we talked about some tips and tricks and suggestions for helping you run your practice. So maybe as we go through the conversation, if you you know pull up some of that stuff, I think it would be really helpful. Sure. From back here to here. I can tell you right out of the gate. It's worth meeting with her. She's going to teach you something you didn't know, and it's going to have an immediate impact oh, on your practice. Thanks, Kim. Appreciate that. Hi, Laura. Hi. Um, my name is Alara Chilton, and I um, practice in the areas of criminal defense and consumer rights litigation. Uh, I, right now, I'm at 25% criminal, the remainder uh, civil. I like to focus on cases in which there's a consumer that's been a victim of fraud, identity theft, uh, debt collection abuse, um, and uh, those cases are very pleasurable because in most cases I won't charge the client and be able to do that oh, wow. because of statutory fees, and so I, I find it very rewarding. And some people look at the practice as something of like small claims because the amount of damages themselves are not big, and I'm not going to try to sell you on the idea that superior court or federal judges love my cases as a result, <laughs> but I love my cases and I educate the court on those cases. So I feel very blessed to do the work that I do. You sound like a very happy solo. <laughs> I love that. Oh, thank you. And uh, since it's shameless self-promotion, I am the immediate past president for, I think, two days left of the Latino Bar Association. And I serve on the Legal Ethics Committee with Deborah Wolf, who's also on our panel right now. Excellent. Hi, Deborah. Hi, um, my name is Deborah Wolf of Wolf Legal Group, and um, my primary practice is plaintiffs' uh, legal malpractice law. Uh, I've been a lawyer approximately thirty-seven years, and uh, practicing in San Diego the whole time. I've done a variety of different things. Uh, I started out on my own because oh, in wow. nineteen eighty-one, um, nobody was hiring women, at least not unless you were, you know, the valedictorian, which I was not. So uh, I started out my own firm. Um, I started in the gas lamp. Uh, when there was no gas lamp, wow. there was no Horton Plaza. The only building there was the Keating Building, which is now the Keating Hotel. And um, I was walking through some very questionable neighborhoods uh, to get to work and to also uh, get to the courthouse and file things. And I started out doing a little bit of everything, door law, you know, whatever walks in the door. And discovered pretty early on that I, I really enjoyed helping people, uh, mostly consumers. And I did a lot of personal injury. I did child molestation cases. I did some family law. decided nobody wins, so I didn't want to take that on. And um, did some criminal defense when we didn't have a public defender. I had a contract with uh, – it was like an alternative public defender. Wow. It was um, – yeah, uh, this lawyer named Wally Milford had a contract – with the county as a public defender. So whenever they would have a conflict, they had lawyers that would have a contract. So we would get five cases a week and I split them with another attorney. So he would, I would get about five every other week. We'd have to go down to the jail and wait for them to be assigned to us. They were all like class one and two misdemeanors and it paid pretty well. It was, uh, we got $50 a case and if we went to trial, they would pay us $125 a day. Wow, where'd you spend it all? Hey, yeah, really. <laughs> uh, you know, we were still using carbon paper and, you know, electric IBM typewriter was the top of the line when I started out. So uh, I, I did have uh, a couple of experiences where I was with firms. 
Um, I don't know if it's I don't play well with others or it's the nature of my practice um, where I just I just kind of naturally am on my own. Even Born in the to firms, be a solo. Even in the firms. Um, and I don't know if I do this kind of work because I was like never a member of the old boys club because they wouldn't let me in. So too bad now. Um, I'm coming <laughs> after you if you screw up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I've learned a lot about practicing on my own. I'm I'm the best boss I ever had, even though I'm kind of, you know, crabby sometimes, as Eric found out a little bit earlier today. Deb, you've got to, you've got to figure out a way to fit in your biggest fan and how he would announce your, <laughs> your successes throughout your practice. Eric, tell us about you. I do all DUI defense. I run my own firm, Eric Ganchi, by the way. Uh, pleasure to be here. And I've been practicing for about 10 years doing all DUI defense. Excellent. Thank you. Hi, Julie. I'm Julie Wolf. Uh, w O L F F. My name is spelled a little different than Deb than Deborah Wolf. Uh, I am a child welfare law specialist, and I also have an LLM in dispute resolution. Uh, I do primarily child welfare law, which is juvenile dependency, uh, helping parents where the county claims their children are abused and neglected. I help them get into services so they can reunify with their children. I also help relatives, grandparents, aunts and uncles when they want to get custody of a child that has been taken by child welfare. Uh, I've also started doing some family law. I've been on my own for about two years now, and I'd like to get a little bit more into dispute resolution. Awesome. Deborah, you mentioned that you've been a solo almost all 37 years of your practice. That's right. amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> I wanted to just start by asking, um, what made you decide to go solo? And I thought Kim would be maybe a good person to lead with because you just went solo a year ago, but were you with a firm before? Like, what did it, how did you decide to do that or why? Why did I decide to go solo? Well, it started while I was in law school that I met with a handful of mentors and said, I'm declining job offers. Is this foolish? I want to have my own practice. And the handful of, of folks that I was inquiring from said, you have a plan. Just work it and we will help you. And that's exactly what happened. And so I was blessed to be partnered with Frank Fox uh, for about five years, I guess. And he was able to share his wisdom and practice. And that's how I was able to specialize with the financial abuse was from him. And so it was time for he's, I'm going to guess, 68, 69 years old now, different phase of life, of course. And I had an opportunity to, to hang my own shingle, as they say. And so all the stars have lined up. It's working. Uh, it was a long-term plan. I just had that nice little marriage, if you will, for that yeah. initial start. Um, let me ask you a quick follow-up question because I find that when I talk to young lawyers or new solos, the idea of getting a mentor is it, you know, it's everyone says get a mentor, get a mentor, but I find that most attorneys don't actually get mentors. But you've mentioned twice that they were really important to you in helping you decide to do that and probably in your continued success today. So, what would you say if a law student came to you and said, Should I get a mentor? And then what do you expect from and what do you want from a mentor? It'd be foolhardy not to have multiple mentors. People are willing to give back. I can't think of a single person that's turned me down when I ask for mentorship. Sure. And it might very well just be somebody willing to give back. They're at that stage of life. It might be that they were in court in front of the judge that you will next to be in front of. And so they're willing to guide you that way. So I think part of it is knowing how mentors can help. And that doesn't necessarily mean a gray hair teaching a young buck what the lay of the land is. Sure. It could very well be 
I teach a 76-year-old mentor technology. Yeah. And it goes both ways. So absolutely get mentors and then keep that communication line open. What do you expect from a mentor? Like, you know, when we say, like, what, what do you look for in a good mentor? I don't know how better to say other than find somebody that, find somebody who has integrity, find somebody who is well-respected, find somebody with whom you communicate well, and somebody that you ping off of, if that makes any sense. It's an energy thing. And so it will be someone who will accept phone calls and you won't be gatekept. Uh I have a standing Saturday coffee with one of mine, and it's going to be somebody who talks you through not just law practice, but the other parts of life too. Awesome. Hey everyone, it's Adriana. Isn't this a great conversation so far? I'm just sneaking in here so we can take a quick break to hear a couple messages from our sponsors. This episode of New Solo is brought to you by courtfiling.net, your solution for electronic filing in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. Courtfiling.net provides a better e-filing experience so you can spend more time helping clients. Because they know that sometimes work happens after hours, courtfiling.net offers 24-7 phone, email, and chat support. Visit them at courtfiling.net to receive 30 days of unlimited free electronic filings and see how you too can e-file court documents with ease. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 1-800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. And we're back. Let's keep listening to this great conversation with a bunch of members of the San Diego County Bar Association, and I hope you enjoy it. Jeff, um, you've been in practice 23 years, and 15 years ago you decided to go solo. What inspired you to do that? It was unintentional. (laughs) The accidental solo? Yeah, I guess I was accidentally became a solo. For me, I I have authority issues. Um, I try. I've actually tried very hard to work well with others, to play well in the sandbox. And I found that in a group setting, I just I I don't work well with others. After a while, I need to be on my own. I need to be my own boss. Um, and it created a situation where I needed to go out on my own. If I'd like to comment, though, if I may, I fully agree about the mentor aspect. I don't know. I I had the benefit of working for – I started out working for a solo practitioner who at the time was doing construction defect litigation. And back in that time frame, my employer, she was a a solo. Uh, She hired me. I was her first employee. And I came in doing discovery on these multi-party construction defect cases. For instance, we were representing – when I came into the firm, we, were, we had three different cases with approximately 60 plaintiffs, individual homeowner plaintiffs in each case, where we were suing the developer in each housing development along with the, all the subcontractors, which is a bit of a change from what – or done a bit differently than what, what, how it was done later. So she needed to hire somebody. I learned a lot working for her, but what I found out is that it, it's essential in this – we aren't like doctors, okay? In the sense that doctors go through, and I don't pretend to be a doctor or to know anything about it, except that, um, you know, doctors go through medical school, they go through a residency, they go through a set um, 
professional training period that we don't get as lawyers. And I find, I personally think it is extremely difficult, if not impossible, to go to law school and to step out and become a lawyer, a solo practitioner out of law school or with a short amount of, of experience. Some people can do that, um, and all the more power to them. I never could. Um, I needed at least five years worth of training. And what I found even in that five-year period was that um, the training's not enough. I mean, the mentorship very, very much helps, and I've had several over the, the last few years. And I've, I've enjoyed working with them, and I've enjoyed imparting what knowledge I can. But what I find is that there's no way they can grasp what I know in terms of litigation or how to deal with, how to prepare, uh, prepare simple things like preparing and responding to requests for admissions or preparing and responding to um, other types of discovery or drafting a complicated complaint. There's no way they can learn that. You can't learn that in certain areas of practice, I think, in even a, a, a five-year period. My preference is work for somebody else for a while before you become a solo. Yeah, it would have been nice to be able to work for somebody else. I actually uh, was a clerk. I clerked for a couple of different firms, and and you know I learned about, you know I learned about law practice from that. But I echo what you're saying in that the first five years I was absolutely terrified. I didn't know what I was doing, because first of all, you go out of law school and you have nodding. absolutely no idea how to practice law. Most of your professors have never practiced law, so it's mm -hmm. not something they can mm -hmm. really teach you. So not that what you're learning in law school isn't important. It is. It's important you learn how to, how to think like a lawyer, how to do research and stuff. But then they send you out the door and say, okay, you're done, and you have absolutely no idea what to do. And if you don't have a job, as I said, in the early 1980s when I started practicing, there weren't a lot of jobs, first of all, and there weren't jobs for women. Um, I had an interview with the city attorney, um, I won't name his name right now, and he wondered why I had gone to four different schools. I finished school in seven years, um, but I had gone to a bunch of different schools because I had been married and my husband had, you know, been a corporate kind of guy that was being bounced around from different jobs. And so I told this guy that, and I said, "Well, and, and I'm I'm divorced now." He goes, "You're divorced? You must be very unstable." Oh. So uh, I said, well, actually, I'm more stable now than I was when I was married to this <laughs> joker. But um, anyway, <laughs> so I knew a lot of people. The other thing uh, I, I did know from people that were getting jobs uh, when I first started out was that they weren't getting real hands-on experience. They were doing a lot of drafting, especially women. You know, that was great for you to go, just write me a brief. And, and you know, I learned how to do that and stuff. But um, I really wanted to meet people. I went into law so I could help people. I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people that were like me and my parents. And I, you know, people that didn't necessarily have a lot of money. And the other thing, when you go out on your own, it's, it's really, you know, it's frightening. It's scary. You got to have mentors. Thank God for Harvey Levine. He was one of my professors in law school at USD, and he would always take my call. And I had a lot of other people that I met through joining um, the Bar Association, uh, the Consumer Attorneys, which at that time was San Diego Trial Lawyers Association, Lawyers Club, and networking and meeting people that way that I felt comfortable about asking questions. I tried not to spend too much time of any one person, and, and I would go around and I was just scared to death every time I'd go into court. The other thing that you don't know how to do when you get out of law school is run a business, which is a completely different skill set. 
And some people just never get a hold of that. And for me, it took it took a lot of time. My dad um, was a commissioned salesperson, so he never really had a job like that where he would get a paycheck. Uh, and so that really part didn't really scare me, but it was like, where am I going to get my business? What am I going to do? How am I going to figure this out? And, you know, I got a lot of overflow work from other attorneys. I just, it was called at the time shoe leather. I would go meet people. I would knock on doors, say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm available to do some work. Can I help you with anything? Um, I would, I had this little game that I played. I put like 10 of my business cards in my pocket every day, and I would go from my creepy office in the gas lamp <laughs> to, uh, you know, if I was going to court or I'd go to lunch, I'd try to go to lunch at a different place every day, and I would just strike up a conversation with somebody, and I'd always work in, hey, I just started practicing law. You know, I'm available if you know anybody that needs a lawyer, and so I, my goal was to pass out all of my cards every day, and eventually I started tip. getting calls. And, you know, and meeting people is the best way to get business. And then, you know, people would come in and I'd say, they'd say, well, I, I have this kind of a problem. I go, I have absolutely no idea how to do that, but I'm not going to charge you a lot of money. Uh, I will learn. I'm really eager and enthusiastic and I'm a hard worker and I will do the best I can. And most of those people couldn't have afforded anybody else anyway. So... That's kind of how I did it. I think the other side of that camp is to specialize. Door law is what I heard you say, where anything that walks through the door is what you take. And I think Eric might have something to say about this. He is just DUI. And as far as long as I've known you, you've been just DUI. Yeah, it's a scary thing. So if, if you're doing like the broad spectrum of all the laws, it's exciting in the sense that you are always learning something new, um, but there's just so much new stuff to learn. But the other part too is that that, you know, maybe like 10 to 20, 10 to 15 years ago, like this world has become very much like a specialization type of world where like the medical field, they want people that like specialize in this type of surgery. And it's really become that way with the legal field too, that um, unless you are getting out of law school with like a ton of cash, which I definitely didn't have when I started out my firm right out of law school, that you need to be able to like market yourself. And when someone meets you and you say, hey, I'm a lawyer, and especially if you're meeting other lawyers, like, hey, I'm a lawyer. They're like, yeah, it's great. Everyone's a lawyer here. <laughs> but then if you can say, like, hey, I'm a lawyer. And, like, for me, it was like, hey, I'm a I did, like, what Deborah did. Like, I had business cards and it just said, like, DUI lawyer on it. So, like, hey, I'm a lawyer. I, I What do you do? I do DUI defense. Just DUI defense? My God, how do you do? Yeah, I, I just do just DUI defense. And I would talk to them about, like, science stuff that I was doing. And then it just became like, you know, there wasn't a lot of people that were doing that kind of stuff. And then you just became, become like the DUI like person yeah. or like the real estate person, um, like Jeffrey was talking about. So um, I, I have enjoyed it. And I will tell you that like the DUI realm is like such a, like a <laughs> deep, dark hole to get into. But it, it like I wouldn't be able to do other types of laws right now. And it took me, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years and I'm glad that I have spent just that 10 years. Cause like when you're doing like the science stuff within it, but then you're doing like there's administrative stuff with the DMV, which is hilarious most of the times and then <laughs> doing like trial work. And so you got to learn like all this stuff and then learn how to do like trial stuff. And then what Deborah was talking about, Oh, by the way, you got to run a business. Cause like, you know, it's a lawyer for hire, you know, <laughs> if you're doing it the right way. Um, so the specialization thing has really worked for me, but it's also about looking down the road to see where things are going to go in the future. Cause like for my business model, um, people in general are better about not drinking and driving or not being, mm -hmm. you know, not using drugs and driving. And so, and plus driverless cars and Uber and like all that kind of stuff. So 
you know, you got to be a good lawyer, but you got to think about the business model too. And like, I know the DUIs, like it's, I estimate like five to 10 years before, like as a business model, it's just not going to be around anymore. You'll have to pivot. There's so much say. financial abuse. Join us, yeah. please. Yeah. <laughs> more than enough work. Hey everyone, it's Adriana again. We just got to cut in one more time for another break and a couple of messages from our sponsors. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and then get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up with the code NEWSOLO10. That's NEWSOLO10. And do that at Clio.com, C-L-I-O.com. Law Clerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a first year to perform legal research or a seasoned attorney to assist with a complicated appellate brief, Law Clerk has hundreds of freelance lawyers with every level of experience and expertise. There are no sign-up or monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Increase your profits, not your overhead. Learn more at lawclerk.legal. And we're back. Let's keep talking and listening to this great conversation at the San Diego County Bar Association. This is Alara. I just wanted to speak to a couple of things that Deborah had raised. And remember, um, in this field, uh, there's a lot of still uh, sexism that's present. And uh, I wanted to talk to you at the point that Deborah raised, and that is when she first started out, you said that you would charge people less. And I find that this is a common thing with women. Men don't have this problem generally speaking. And I find it fascinating because I remember a while back, there was someone who I knew who was more or less dabbling in criminal law. And he said, look, I'm going to charge 10 grand for this. And I said, 10 grand? I said, that's significantly higher than what most would charge. Why are you going to charge 10? And he said, oh, because person, you know, X and person X is very well respected in criminal law. And I said, but you're not person X, (laughs) right? And and gratefully, the friendship survived that type of honesty. But again, this is <laughs> but again, this is just something that I see time and time again with women, and I think it's something that uh, I know myself took many years to overcome. You know, this whole notion of look, I went to law school, I learned a trade, I learned a specific skill, and I'm going to charge for my time. And it's proven to be very effective once I bought into the notion, hey, I'm worth this much, then other people bought into that notion as well. And, you know, by no means am I the most expensive game in town. And in the consumer cases, I'm free, literally, you know, but um, to the client, that is. But on those cases where I need to charge, you know, I got to believe that it, that I'm worth it and knock on wood, it's proven to be very effective. So well, I don't have any problem with that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't have all. any problem at all with that now. <laughs> Actually, Deborah, you sounded confident before you even had all this experience. So it just sounds like having that confidence is an important tip. Like building confidence is an important tip to give solos or new solos that are, that are trying, right? Well, Go as, ahead, Julie. Oh, I'm sorry. So I guess for me... F- in juvenile dependency, working for the contracted firms was really important. I don't think, I I know I probably couldn't be where I am now without um, that experience because you're in the courtroom every day. You've got 11 cases, maybe 16 cases every morning. Um, You're able to do trials. You're getting in evidence. You're um, cross-examining someone about uh, their alcohol abuse or are their THC levels declining. You're really getting a lot of experience uh, more more so than 
as a private attorney, just kind of like the public defender's office. Um, you're just being there every day. And that that's really helped me. And when I went solo, I decided still to take the child welfare specialist exam. People are like, why are you doing that? You're going solo. But I think it was a good step just to show that you are specializing in something that you have a little extra. Here in San Diego, there are a lot of great family law attorneys that have their CFLS. And I'm, I haven't taken that exam yet. I'm still too scared, I guess. Right. But I still tell the judges, look, I'm child welfare law certified and I put it on all my my things. And I think a couple of the judges do recognize some something in that, you know, child welfare knowledge. And especially since we do have some we have a diverse panel of judges here that I think appreciates the different backgrounds. And then what I wanted just to say about uh, the mentors is you can also have mentors that are your age that you just ask different things to. And sometimes I have older attorneys that might call me about someone I went to law school with just to try to see a little bit more about them. And if they're going to be reasonable and negotiating, just the, just little little those little insights that could be important to trying to come to an agreement and get along with someone. So I found that that's really important too. Thinking along the lines of mentorship, we have a group that we get together. Of, I think there are 21, 22 of us lady lawyers, and we have dinner first Monday of the month so that we can bounce ideas off one another so that we recognize that we're, we're solo, but we're not alone. And I think that's the consumer attorney stance also, is a lot of the plaintiff's bar, a lot of the lawyers who do the suing are oftentimes small firms. One man, two man, three man shows, human shows, woman, man. And so I think it's important to remember as a solo, not only do you have that mentorship so that you can grow in your practice, so that you can survive as an individual, you know, that's one of the questions I have for you all, um, because again, talking to the solos when I do, one of the challenges they face or fears they have is where do I find the camaraderie that I would normally find in a, even a boutique, a small firm? So it sounds like you find it with your group. Jeff, do you, how do you do it? I think that's one of the biggest challenges of being sure. a solo. But yeah, somebody to bounce ideas off of. That frankly, I... You know, it's great to want to stand on your own two feet. It's great to want to go out there and conquer the world on your own. And, you know, it, it, it's, a wonderful fe- it's a wonderful feeling when you can do it. But the problem is there's a lot of information. There is a vast quantity of information that we have to deal with. And I unfortunately don't specialize, but um, I just find in, in business litigation in particular, I recently have been working on a case that involves franchise law where I represent some former franchisees. I'm suing a particular franchisor for fraud-related claims as well as other persons involved in that transaction. What I find is I'm there's a vast amount of information that I need to acquire in a short period of time, and it's very difficult. I mean, you can bring law clerks in and do a lot of the legal research, but to have someone to bounce ideas off of is extremely important. I go downstairs and bother some of the other solo practitioners in the, in the house that I'm in. Um, we're in a historic house. So Otherwise, I would bother other people by calling them up on the phone, you know, and open it up by saying, you know, hi, I'm Jeff so-and-so referred me to you. Sorry to bother you, but I have a stupid question. Do you have time to talk with me? And they always say yes, right? Uh, almost always, yeah, yes. Sure. Yes. So um, you mentioned that you, so you have an office space with other lawyers in it. Um, you know, talk, let's talk a little bit about your, 
faith-based setup? And if you get that sort of camaraderie, and if you don't, do you find it here at the Bar Association? Would you? Where would you suggest new solos? How do you get this camaraderie when you don't have it? And let's talk a little bit about your office I can I can talk a little bit. Having had office space and then something that is really important to keep in mind with running a business is that you need to think about like what the overhead is because it's real easy to get like a, a big fancy office with like super big desks and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden now you have to make that amount of money so that you can like keep having that stuff. And then I have recently went to just doing basically like virtual office and like done paperless. And like my, mm -hmm. my desk is like a three by like foot and a half. Is it in space. your backpack? Huh? Is it in your backpack? <laughs> it could fit in my backpack. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It could fit in my backpack. I love that. But like the beauty of cloud computing, and it's also like it ties in with cloud computing and also with being able to get information to clients like a lot easier and mm -hmm. faster because you can just access it so much more. But if you choose to do it that way, then you can do it that way. And I'll tell you like with, with DUI defense or criminal defense or like many, many types of cases where you're dealing more with like a personal relationship as opposed to like working with like a big like corporation where they need to walk in and see like the mm -hmm. the big nice skyline or you know the, the big view of the city but like usually like my clients don't care about that even like the really super wealthy clients what they care about is do you shoot real straight with them do you, are you knowledgeable can you like back up what you're talking about and are you good at what you do are you going to respond to them like all that kind of stuff so that has been such a huge like I, I I did this about three years ago and I have just loved <laughs> just love the simpling down of the everything. The freedom and the yeah. mobility. It's not about how much you make; it's about how much you keep. And I was that, now you can uh, you very know I mean true. I have a virtual office downtown, and uh, I I do come downtown about three or four days a week usually, but you know I because I'm active in all these organizations. Uh, it's also, you know, that's where I find my camaraderie and meet a lot of, of other people that are similarly situated or even people um, that are not that I can mentor um, because that's, of course, that's where I get most of my businesses from other attorneys. Oh, sure. And when I go to these uh, events, I it's more important even than passing out my card to get their card. I write down on it where I met them and I follow up with an email or a call or something like that. And it's about those kinds of relationships and being open to those kinds of relationships and making sure you find time for yourself, which I have now that I don't have some big fancy office. I have a person, an attorney that I work with, Brian Worthington, who's of counsel to me. I'm of counsel to him. I don't have a salary that I have to pay him. I do have an assistant because I couldn't exist in my life without an assistant. But I also uh, figured out a way uh, some years ago how to run a successful business by getting a business coach, oh, a excellent. very good business coach. I had he, he got me sort of straightened out about how to be very specific about my business, setting up time to do things, uh, you know, putting it in action, putting it in my calendar. Uh, and I used his services. I talked to him weekly. Um, it went on for maybe about a year, and then I, I sometimes will go back to him for kind of like a refresher because I know, oh, my God, I have to talk to Roger. I better get my stuff together. And so <laughs> I would, you know, I would get together. But that's uh, how I learned about what was important, how to figure out what I needed to spend and, and how much more free time you have if you're not working to pay your overhead. You know, you, if you want to have a life, you need to figure out how to reduce your overhead, how to keep the money that you have. And I'm with Eric. My clients don't care. I, I don't represent big insurance companies, big corporations. My clients are people. 
if I can go to them, great. I don't have to have a big office with big conference rooms to have depositions. Guess what? There's wonderful court reporters in this town. Every single one of them has a ton of conference rooms. And you know the what? The bar when does you have too. A, and when you have a deposition there, they give you lunch. They bake cookies in the afternoon. <laughs> wow. Why would I go and try to, you know, hey. set up my own stuff? Hey, everyone. It's Adriana. I hope you've enjoyed part one of two of this special episode of New Solo on Legal Talk Network. Make sure you head over to iTunes to subscribe and rate and leave us a review if you haven't yet. It's very much appreciated. Thank you so much. And remember, you're not alone. You're New Solo. Thanks for listening to New Solo with host Adriana Linares. Tune in again to learn more about how to successfully run your new practice solo here on Legal Talk Network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.